When life is pulling you in a million different directions, how do you find time for the people who matter to you? Who are those people? What makes you feel like you're not alone? We're going to talk about this stuff for a bit. Hang out with us. I'm Nadia Halim. Welcome to The Opposite of Lonely. Lately, when I tell people I have a podcast about social connectedness, often they tell me, oh, you should talk to Jan Keck. If you have a look at his website, jankeck.com, it's not hard to see why. Jan is a self-described community addict who says his mission is to help people feel less lonely. He creates experiences, workshops, and programs that fuel what he sees as a movement for deeper human connection. One of Jan's creations is the Ask Deep Questions card deck, described as 48 thoughtful questions that go below the surface to create meaningful connections with anyone. The cards are divided into three categories. Curious questions, the starter level, which are fun and lighthearted. Brave questions, which are a little more personal. And vulnerable questions, designed to provoke deep reflection. The idea is that a group can use the curious questions to break the ice, then proceed into more serious territory as they grow more comfortable talking to each other. So I knew I wanted to talk to Jan, but I thought the best way to do a podcast about his project would be to actually use the cards to have a conversation. So I rounded up a group of friends, and we gave them a try. You'll hear highlights from that session later this episode, but first, here's Jan explaining how he came to develop the cards and how they fit into his larger project of fostering human connection. So I wanted to start by asking you, Ian, can you give me a little background on what led you to develop this deck? Yeah. So I grew up in Germany. And when I came to Canada, I literally knew no one. I had to build my community from scratch again. And it was after I lived here for eight years that I had this kind of epiphany moment at a weekend retreat where I realized that most of my friendships are very surface level. That most of the time that we had conversations, it didn't go very deep. It was not not very fulfilling, to be honest. And at that retreat, I realized what it could look like if you share vulnerable stories with other people, if you have a shared experience where you all are outside of your comfort zone. And the connections that I made on that weekend, I still to this day say I made 30 new friends in 48 hours. It, in a way, after that weekend, I tried to recreate these experiences of meaningful connection. And I realized that the best way to connect with others and also, I guess, not be distracted by social media and by all the noise and things that are happening in the city, I needed to take people out into nature. So two years ago, I, I led this camping trip, which I called the Conscious Camping Crew. And we drove a few hours north of the city to go for a backcountry canoeing trip. And I felt I needed to create a tool to help people connect in the car ride because none of the people that joined the trip knew each other. It was seven of us. Uh, I knew everyone, but they didn't know each other. And I could only be in one car because we're driving with two cars. So I just wrote down a couple of questions that I had collected over the years on a bunch of cards and handed one deck to each car so they can facilitate this getting to know each other which could be sometimes awkward if you're in a car with strangers that you've never met for four hours. But then it inspired the whole weekend to be about these amazing conversations and people being really vulnerable. And we were sitting in the canoe under the stars in the middle of the lake and just talking about everything. And I think just the types of connections we've made on that weekend were different to like connections that I've made before. It sounds like the cards are sort of, for you, part of a, a larger strategy. Like there's a, a, 
there's the questions and there's also the idea of getting people out of their usual habitat and into a place where there's fewer distractions and in small groups. Yes, definitely. Like anytime I use the cards, I usually tell people like this is the time that we turn off our cell phones. We give each other the gift of presence, which doesn't happen often enough anymore. And then just having the cards physically be there as something you can pick up and touch and engage with when you're answering the question, I've noticed gives people almost a little bit of extra courage to go a little bit deeper compared to if it was an app that you use on your phone and you just swipe to the next question or you use a, like I also sell a PDF version of this, but I always encourage people if you get the physical deck, it's very different how, how the conversation goes. What to you makes a conversation deep and real? What is that? Because the, since the goal of the cards is to initiate conversations that are deep and real, what does that mean to you? I think it helps to define the opposite of what is a real deep conversation, which I think most people know as small talk. And to me, that's things that just stay on the surface that don't really get you to connect with a person very much. It's things like talking about the weather, Talking about people's work is another question that I find sometimes doesn't go very deep because there's a lot of people who actually don't like their job. And then forcing them to answer that question makes it not the most fun to to talk about because like, to me, a deep, meaningful question is all about how can we connect at a level that we usually don't have a chance to connect with people. What were some of the questions that you rejected for the deck? Uh, were there questions that you thought might, you know, get good conversation going and then in practice were less suitable than you, you expected them to be? One question that stood out to me that actually almost made it into the, the final version was, what do you have no patience for? Hmm. And although I love that question because it reveals something about people that sometimes you don't like you wouldn't know right away when you meet them. It started off the conversation on a kind of negative energy. Hmm. Like people started complaining about things. And <laughs> it's a like it also works in connecting people. Like anytime you've been, I don't know, stuck on the subway and suddenly people start complaining about the public transport system or like in my building uh, two days ago, there was a fire alarm in the middle of the night and they just couldn't figure out how to use the speaker system. That there was a lot of echo. <laughs> the next day, everybody in the building was complaining about how they're not able to use the, the speaker system. Right. And yes, we connected in some way, but it was <laughs> not it was not as meaningful as it could have been. Uh, let's say talking about what. What, what's your favorite thing about this neighborhood? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like that would have been a, a slightly different question that we probably would have connected much more on. It's interesting that you say that because that is one thing that we, that was an observation that was also made while we were working with the deck is that the cards sort of tend towards a positive outlook. They tend to bring out answers that are generally positive. So the goal with these cards really is to connect with another person, even if you are very different. I'm hoping that the questions will get at something that you have in common. And I believe that the things that we have in common that we usually don't talk about are the vulnerable things, uh, like our fears, our worries, what we perceive as big failures of our lives, but maybe also our dreams and goals that we sometimes are very hesitant to share with others. And so all the questions are focused on getting more to that level rather than talking about something political, which... Two people could have a very different opinion and then it could turn into either 
a heated conversation or uh, maybe escalate to something even worse. So I, I consciously decided every question should allow people to share something a little bit more vulnerable that opens the door to have a conversation where somebody else then might feel, oh my God, this really resonates with me. I've gone through something similar or I felt something like that before, because that's really how we connect. So that's really the focus is, is connection and commonality. Yeah. And I have one quote in the like back of the box that says relationships travel at the speed of vulnerability. And to me, this deck just gives people the tool to get vulnerable faster than you usually would if if you weren't uh, having meaningful conversation all the, all the time already. So it it kind of builds these stronger connections by by allowing us to connect over something that that is a little bit deeper than than talking about our favorite sports team. The, the, the deep questions. How, how can people get involved if they are interested in pursuing this, if they want to let go to one of your workshops? What are the opportunities that are coming up? Yeah, I think the first thing, if you're interested in having more meaningful conversations, is downloading a guide that I put together, which I call the Deep Conversations Guide, which is basically all the tips that I share if you're attending a party or a networking event on how to connect with people and start a conversation and take it to like below the surface level. And in there, I also include a small talk cheat sheet. Uh, like on the left side, it says all the small talk questions that you would get on a regular basis. And then on the right side, I came up with more interesting questions that you could ask instead. And um, I feel like that's that's a really good way to to get started. And then, yeah, you can either grab a deck of cards or come to one of my events. Like I have some dinners, some campfires coming up. I'm also working on a weekend getaway in August that I'm quite excited about, that I'm literally putting together as we speak. Like my mission really is to help people feel less alone. So the, the goal is with any event that you attend, that at the end you realize that, oh my God, I'm not the only one worrying about this, or I'm, I'm not the only one dealing with this type of issue, or I'm not the only one feeling this feeling or having felt this feeling in my life. So you can connect with people and walk away with a greater sense of belonging in a way. Well, that's great. Thanks for, for talking with me today. This is uh, really has shed some light on the background to the cards. And thank you very much. Thank you. So in mid-June, a group of megaphonic hosts and friends of this podcast sat down together in Chris and Michael's kitchen to give the Ask Deep Questions card set a try. With me at the kitchen table were Suzanne Conklin-Akbari, co-host of the Spouter In podcast, Melissa Brizuela, who is one of my guests on episode three, Michael Collins, who does This Is Your Mixtape and Dear Reader, and Chris Puma, who in addition to hosting The Spouter Inn and The Scene of the Scene, produces this podcast. So in terms of how well we all knew each other, we were an interesting mix. Suzanne and I were meeting for the first time. Chris and Michael are married to each other. Melissa is a friend of mine who had met Chris briefly once before. Chris and I are old friends, etc., etc. We wanted to have an interesting, meaningful conversation, and also to ask some deep questions about the deep questions. Like, what do we think makes a question deep, or a conversation meaningful? Is vulnerability the only key to connection, or are there other ways to connect? What follows is just some highlights of the session. We wound up talking for nearly three hours. First, we watched Jan's helpful intro video on how to use the cards. We'll link to that on the episode page. Then, we went around the table and quickly introduced ourselves. We'll start with me. The regular opposite of Lonely Listener will be familiar with my voice. I'm Nadia Halim. And I'm Suzanne. Sometimes Chris and I do the spouter in together. My name is Melissa Brizuela. 
Hi, my name is Michael Collins, and I am from Dear Reader, and this is your mixtape on this network. <laughs> and I'm Chris, and I produce this podcast, and I also do the spatter in with Suzanne. Okay, uh, the first curious card. If you could send a message to the entire world, what would you say in 30 seconds? Hmm. That's hard. I mean, it's a, it's not a difficult question to answer in a personal way. I just don't know. <laughs> If this was, if if my thirty seconds had already begun, I'd be in trouble. I'd be like, wait, wait, I, I. I should hope you would be able to script this beforehand. <laughs> yeah, I, would, I, would, I would definitely hope so. Oh, good lord! Um, Will you read the question again? If you could send a message to the entire world, what would you say in thirty seconds? A thirty-second message to the entire world. I have to say that no matter who I am, I don't think. <laughs> I don't think me saying something to the entire world in 30 seconds is going to make a huge impact on the world. Which is <laughs> first off, I don't think I have a magic formula that would, I think I probably would say, I mean, I'm, I feel like I'd probably say something similar to what anyone would say, which is be nice and stop killing each other. <laughs> and then people would just go on doing what they had always done before. I mean, it would be nice if there was something that I could say that would enlighten people, but I don't know. You it's can imagine bullshit. these different universes, though, in which that would happen in different kinds of ways. So like you were saying, well, if you just had a 30-second message for everybody in the world, maybe they wouldn't pay any attention to you. They would dismiss it. But mm -hmm. imagine a universe mm -hmm. where you had 30 seconds and everybody would hear this voice in their head saying, you must do this. <laughs> right? it, would, it would have this it, potentially this transformative effect, right? People would really freak out. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I am the earth. I am dying. You must do something about climate change, right? Everybody would be like, oh, my God, right? All hearing it in their own languages, yeah, right? Yeah. Every, that would be like, ooh. Yeah, because I was, I was along with you, Nadia. There's like, yeah, yeah. like people aren't going to, what, what makes you think they're going to listen to what you say? But if your face appeared in the sky and this booming voice, like, you have 10 years to get to carbon neutral, like maybe maybe that would work. Or if it just, yeah, because I, I feel like the, the delivery system, see, of course I'm picking this question apart. Like the, the, yeah, the delivery, the way in which this message was delivered would make an enormous difference in the impact that it had. Like if it was just one of those Amber Alerts on your phone, <laughs> everyone would just scroll past it. <laughs> But yeah, if it instead appeared as a voice inside everyone's head that no one else knew they were having, other people are having the same experience. <laughs> that would be that would be quite different. It would totally work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I would be like some something something climate change. The world is on fire. Also, uh, uh, economic equality and stop killing each other. But <laughs> but yeah, I don't. I would have to think much longer and harder to come up with something and I don't I have very little faith that I <laughs> could somehow come up with something pithy enough that would just stop everyone in their tracks through the the strength the power of the language itself and make them reconsider their lives and <laughs> live in a more peaceful fashion mm -hmm. but, but do any of you guys want to have a, an answer to this the thought that came into my head was put your trust in others and you will be rewarded mm -hmm. and I think I'm paraphrasing something that I heard Amanda Palmer say recently in a podcast but it when she said it it rang very true for my life. So I'd recently started traveling. Mm. And as a solo traveler, you really do put your trust in a lot of people and strangers. Mm. And I love couch surfing. And I hosted my first stranger couch surfer mm -hmm. recently. And it's, it's a beautiful thing when you really do open up your home, you open up your space. And I think it's, mm. if you really do just trust that people return that generosity to you, you will, you will be rewarded. That's good. So maybe if I could personalize it in some way and say, for me, <laughs> for me, 
<laughs> try and be nicer to each other. I don't know. Do you guys 30 seconds to tell the world? Anything? I mean, I like the idea that you brought up of, that, that Michael brought up of, or whoever brought up of, of everyone hearing the same thing and therefore it having a kind of truth value. But I do fundamentally think that even, even then it wouldn't stick. Mm. So I guess I'd want to sort of gift the world a good puzzle, mm. like a Voynich manuscript, something cryptic and, and un- <laughs> uninterpretable that people could then puzzle over. Mm, neat. I think that would just make people's lives a bit more interesting. It may start a few wars. That's probably not good, but, but still it's, it's, it's something that would be fun to, to do. That's that's a really good point because I went straight to could I save the world in some way and was mm. like probably not and you went to that and was like well okay if I couldn't do that could I entertain them all in Can some way at least way? make the world a little which more interesting is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is which is a good thought <laughs> do we want to move on to the next question sure, sure. oh I, so I misread this first <laughs> <laughs> so the question is uh, when was the last time you listened to your intuition. And I read it first as, when was the last time you listened to your institution? <laughs> That's a much better card. Yeah, I feel like this is a good time to mention we have, we have multiple, multiple ex-PhD students here, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> including yeah, yeah. me. <laughs> this is, I think, a very interesting one for Krista up front. <laughs> Um, I, I think of you as, I'm sorry, I should let you answer, but yeah, I have no. to say, I feel like, I think, I think of you as not... Not, as intuition is not the thing that generally guides you. Yeah. <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> well, what I mean the so 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 uh, the problem or the question is like what is intuition mm. and and how do we distinguish it from other types of having a sense of the world and what might happen? Um, and also, all right, all right. So here's the thing. Here's the thing about these cards. The literal answer to this question is I had an intuition recently that um trying to trying to think of a way of, of vaguing this up sufficiently, but that there was going to be <laughs> I had an intuition that a news announcement that was scheduled to be dropped was going to have information other than what was what we were told was going to be in this news announcement. Mm. And therefore uh, I was I, I proposed to some people that we plan something that would respond to what we thought the information would actually be. Maybe that announcement will happen soon and we'll be able to respond to it with the thing that we've created and it will be a popular success. But like that's the last time I used my intuition to, to say, I think I know what's really going on here. Mm. And I think this is a really interesting opportunity for us to to respond to it in a way that might gain some traction, like might become a thing that people find interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not the kind of question, not the kind of story that no, they're hoping for, yeah. especially if I'm redacting all the good details, yeah. which aren't even that good. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so like what they want to be is like, Oh, you, your intuition says that you should, you should, adopt that cat or buy that mm-hmm. house or marry that person mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. When you say they, sorry to cut in, do you feel like the cards, the cards are. Yeah. Well, I mean, in terms of the, in terms of the kinds of mm. stories that they're, that, that the cards are, questions. yeah, mm-hmm. that they're trying to elicit the but way so, that you so com- break it down into, into mm-hmm. like becoming more vulnerable mm-hmm. means that you have to say something other than about work logistics. <laughs> 
but do you? I mean, well, I don't know if you do, right? Because they're like, they're, they're my cards now. So (laughs) we're using them. Can we just like roll with them and and use them our way? I think, I think we totally could, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I I guess, I I guess I'm curious what the cards would look like if they were trying to draw out more of those more, more concrete, mundane, Mm -hmm. just, you know, like what's, I don't know. I don't know what's in the rest of the cards, but like, what's the last really good food you ate. Well, this is a really, I mean, this is kind of my big underlying question with me about the cards, which is what constitutes a deep and meaningful question. And Mm. why does that necessarily have to be about the self? Uh, Could you have cards? I like, I feel like I could do a deck of cards or I could do like someone could do a deck of cards that would uh, have questions that were all more abstract or philosophical or 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 sensory. Like, like you were saying, like, you know, the most, like, what was the most delicious thing you ever ate? Where were you? You know, and you would tell a story around Mm. that. Like sense memory is a very intimate thing to share in some ways like it is and it isn't you know mm-hmm. like and so there's so many different directions to go right? yeah and that would still build up the possibility of making connections for mm-hmm. people yeah either you know maybe they've also been to that place or maybe they do or do not care for that particular type of food or whatever mm-hmm. like there's still anything you talk about has the potential for for making those kinds of connections between mm-hmm. strangers or you know friends who want to know each other better mm-hmm. it doesn't Good necessarily have to be like Hashtag ask deep questions. <laughs> I was thinking also that, you know, you guys all have uh, podcasts on Megaphonic that involve talking about, like, you have one called Dear Reader. I, I'm just shamelessly going to use this to plug other Megaphonic podcasts. Michael has one called Dear Reader that uh, where you and your friend Emily, uh, uh, every is it every week? Or? Well, every month. We every couldn't month. do yeah, it Yeah, I was going to say. Emily has a newborn often. and a two-year-old. That's right. Yeah. A three-year-old now. <laughs> but you're old friends and you just, you you hop on the yeah. on the podcast uh, recording thing <laughs> thingy and talk about what you've been reading that yeah. month. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's, you know, that is a, a topic of conversation. But, but those seem like fairly connected and, and meaningful questions. Yeah. And you, it's because well, the... you have that deep and long friendship, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so it, partly the intimacy of the conversation comes from the things you're talking about, but a lot of it comes from the substrate that you two have, right? Yes. Um, which is so evocative, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I mean, I agree. And I agree with what you're saying. I mean, to keep it on me, my, my <laughs> other podcast uh, involves, I have a, a, a new person every week and yes. ordinarily they're not people I know very well. Occasionally they are, but we talk about, they bring me five songs and we use those songs to talk about them. And that's where the intimacy comes yeah, from. Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, they are, they are basically, uh, it's artistic experiences or the uh, intellectual experiences we we are basically triangulating through a cultural object mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to talk about the person. So, yeah. so then also, your your podcast is also your, yeah. I, I <laughs> have lost her. Yours is the um, is it the Tolkien one? Sorry, no, it's the Spouter. I do oh, like yeah, Tolkien, but it's yeah. the Spouter that yeah. Chris and I do together, and that again, it's a shared space. And for mm-hmm. us, the shared space of intimacy, I think, is the book we both read. Mm-hmm. And 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 whatever questions it brings up, and and. Mm-hmm. You know, however you want to you want to go from there. Yeah, I mean, I think I think an interesting card going back to Michael's podcast is is what was the song that was really important to you as a child, mm-hmm. yeah. and like and why? I guess yeah, is, yeah, a, yeah. is the implied follow up question. Tell a story about it. Yeah, and I mean, I think the tell a story part is awesome. Chris, I like I actually like your response to the last card because that was kind of it was kind of the question. Part of the question that I had going in was, are these cards sort of like angled from a certain perspective? And uh, does that mean we can't use them? Is that a challenge for us? And I think that <laughs> kind of approaching that perspective with a critical awareness and asking questions about it has been 
productive for us so far. It's been kind of interesting. So we are going to move on to the blue brave cards. We will see how brave they require us to be. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, endless moments. That's right. <laughs> Yes, Anastasia, we'll see how brave you are. I'm sorry. Let's go. <laughs> That's okay. That's, you know, just Tareem's quotes, always appropriate. Uh, brave. So I'll start. How brave is this question? Oh, oh dear. What are the brightest and brightest and darkest thoughts on your birthday? Ooh. That's interesting. Ooh. Um, that's actually, that's, that's kind of an interesting question. I think, <laughs> I mean... Having being now in uh, in midlife, <laughs> the darkest thoughts have to do with well another year closer to death. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like there is a, an awareness of mortality, uh, having kind of passed the midway point. But you know that there is more, there is less ahead than in front of me, and time is not time is finite. There there is sort of a inevitable sense of checking in and what have you not done yet that you thought (laughs) you would have done at this point in your life. I do find aging very weird as Mm. I get older. (laughs) It's just in ways that are hard to explain to young people. Well, like you said, the question of how much is in front of you and how much is behind Mm. you, I I think that's hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And and coming to terms with that and thinking about that, like there's the unhappy, nervous sense that, oh, I'm not where I thought I would be. Mm. I haven't done the things I hoped I would do. And then there's also the sense that, well, you know, you're some older than you, right? Time is finite, but sometimes that lets you appreciate and use the time better yes. because you know mm-hmm. how much, the, what you have some sense of, right? How much there is, right? Mm-hmm. So in some ways, it's a very dark and difficult thing, but in some ways, it gives you this kind of clarity. Um, like it's easier to see what things are important and what things are less important. Mm-hmm. I, I do think mm-hmm. that there, there's that kind of value in it, yeah. um, which is weird, right? That that should be valuable, but it kind of is. <laughs> I found that I am maybe continuing to thrive by trying as hard as possible to not believe in time on on large scale. (laughs) Like I try very hard not to get hung up about wasting a day or Mm. wasting time. Mm -hmm. If I, if, you know, I, I, I I get a lot done. I think I, you know, I, I put out a bunch of podcasts and I do a bunch of other stuff and that's all because those are things that I'm wanting to do and, and, and and trying to work on and Mm -hmm. sometimes things that you just need to do. But this idea of, oh, time is hovering over me and I only have so much more time left on this earth and I need to get as much time. Like, I'm not interested in any of that. I don't <laughs> I don't buy that for a minute. Uh, and I'm just going to sort of be aware of my, the finiteness and, and mortality of everything, uh, of me rather. And if that's useful to gain the, that sort of strength of like, well, no, I, I only have so much time in this world. I'm going to do that thing. That's great. But I'm just not going to get too bogged down in it. <laughs> Hmm. But darks, I'm just thinking about the dark spots because since 2017, um, thinking about my birthday, it's, it's, it's always sort of a negative countdown now because in 2017, a very good friend of mine passed away 10 days after my birthday hmm. and she was young. Um, so I, for me, it's counting, it's reflecting in a different way because, you know, we sort of talked about being aware of how much time you have ahead of your life. And, and when Jeannie passed, no one saw it coming. Mm. And so that whole sense of time has really disrupted my thinking around my birthday. But in terms of uh, making it positive, I've really used my birthday as a way to be intentional about celebrating. So I wasn't in a habit of celebrating my birthday as an adult. Didn't really seem like an important milestone to to celebrate regularly, but I've, I use it now as a time to ensure that I spend time with friends doing things that 
that I enjoy. So I always have introverted hangs on my birthday. <laughs> Last year, I invited people to come and sit with me at the Yoko Ono exhibit, the river exhibit, because I knew it was interactive, but also you could meditate, you could create art, you could do whatever you wanted. And this year, I invited friends to join me at a session called Music to Draw To with Kid Koala. So he, he played his favorite records and you could sit in a quiet room together and draw and mm. and do things and I I chose to write love letters to friends on that day and yeah so for me the bright spot is is just knowing that there's going to be a time where people are concentrating on slowing down because I invite them intentionally to say this is a birthday hangout rather than mm -hmm. I just want to get together with mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. so I try to use that as a way to counteract the negative countdown I think that's wonderful mm. yeah. I really like that what life lesson would you share with your 14-year-old self? <laughs> this is very self-helpy. Um, uh, as a 14-year-old, I had, like, I don't know about body dysmorphia, but I had a very negative view of my own body. Like, I saw myself as very unattractive. And then once I got, like, probably to my 40s, I was, like, much, much less had that point of view. Like, I finally had a, I guess, more neutral sense of how I looked. Um, and so if I could go back, I would say to my 14-year-old self, you know, seriously, <laughs> You have to not see yourself this way. Um, but of course, my 14-year-old self could not probably, could not possibly have heard that, mm -hmm. right? I mean, somebody, tell, I mean, because I know I had older relatives who were telling me continuously how wonderful I was, right? Um, or like how nice I looked, right? And I was like, no, no. <laughs> um, so that's the irony, right? Like there mm -hmm. might be a life lesson you would share, but the 14-year-old self could not possibly, I don't think, could not possibly hear it. That question annoys me. Does it? <laughs> it really does. And also, I don't. For me, it's not a brave category. It's a curious category. But mm -hmm. it, but it annoys me. I think because I've I've decided in recent years that I need to look more forward about my life and not backwards. Mm -hmm. And so for me, this is just why reflect on something that I can't affect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's true because it does kind of take you back to God. I was such an idiot when I was fourteen, and there's nothing I can do about that. <laughs> there isn't really much point. In it's not really on idiocy. It. It's just like you're not. It's like what we were talking about before with regard to advice. Like there are times when you can hear things and times when you can't hear things. Mm -hmm. I I couldn't have heard it. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, it wasn't that I was stupid. I was I think a very bright fourteen year old, mm -hmm. but uh, it was all bound up with like like vulnerability mm. and anxiety about sexuality and mm -hmm. about being open to the world and the extent to which I could be open. I mean, it wasn't about being a stupid teenager, you know, I mean, it, it was about fear. Yeah. Right. So, so, that, so, I mean, I see why you say it's a superficial card, but it isn't, it isn't right. Because if I ask why, why is that? I couldn't have heard that. It's, it's because of like a lot of fear and anxiety around my body, mm -hmm. you know, and like bad things, yeah. right? So you didn't have that omniscient voice that we started this game with <laughs> yeah. to tell you to, to be vulnerable and listen. <laughs> no, that's true. Yes. It's true. Um, I've actually been thinking about this uh, recently, and my thought relates to what you're saying, Suzanne, that I wish I could have heard when I was 14, and again, I don't know if I would have listened, but like, if, like, I, I, it is necessary sometimes to hide who you are for reasons of safety. If you do mm. too good a job of that, your people won't be able to find you. Mm. <laughs> like, uh, you need to like reveal who you are judiciously because you're 14 in like a rural Newfoundland community. <laughs> like, you, you, you gotta be smart about it. But like, don't do too good of a job. 
because you're going to be a really repressive, unhappy 23-year-old because mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. um, but then the idea of being, first of all, like, why look backwards? You can't change that. You can't unring a bell. But also, like, the person I am now was born of that. And, like, if I was sort of this free and happy and easy 21-year-old, would I be the person I am now? Mm. And, I don't know, are, to what extent are our traumas the cauldron from which we emerge? I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I don't think I... What exactly is the phrasing? Life lessons you what, would impart? What life lesson would you share with your 14-year-old self? <laughs> That's not what I would want to do. <laughs> I would want to, like, you know, when I was 14... I forget whether I was 14 or 15 when I got my first guitar, but I was already like writing songs and making music. And I'd want to sort of hang out with my 14 year old self, be an audience for him, see if he was interested in hearing what I had done since then, so to speak, like play games with him, whatever, play, watch, look what he's programming on the computer, things like that. Like that's the stuff I'd be more interested mm. in doing mm. because partially because I, I have a weird and obviously biased sense of what I was like as a 14 year old. And it would be interesting to get that outside perspective, but also mm -hmm. because like, I think he could have used more people who were close to him, especially 14 geez, more people around who were like taking an interest in, in, in what I was doing mm -hmm. and would take it seriously and try to engage in a, in, in positive, if, you know, potentially constructive ways about what was going on. What advice would your 14 year old self have for you. Ooh. <laughs> I don't know that 14 year old me was super into giving advice. <laughs> um, I was just thinking like, cause it's, it's about instructing our younger, stupider versions of ourselves. I was like, well, no, but what they would, what would they say back to us? This is the kind of adult you turned out well, to be. How do you feel about that? Like, so there is that, but that, and I guess that's sort of what I was getting at. I guess I, I wouldn't think of it in terms of like advice. Like he would, again, like he yeah. would say sage words to me, <laughs> but rather that I think I could learn something from the experience of spending some time with 14 year old yeah. me. Mm -hmm. yeah. That that's, and, and, and I would walk away with something from that. Like, that that's more what I was thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd like to revise my earlier assessment of my fourteen-year-old self as an idiot. I think maybe like fairly low functioning socially and in <laughs> various aspects of maturity would be a more accurate assessment. Uh, but yeah, like I really I agree with your point that it's the the idea of when you start thinking about that, it sort of like goes down. It it can easily lead you down a coulda, shoulda, woulda kind mm -hmm. of hole, and that's that's pointless. But at the same time, I like the idea of visiting your 14-year-old self. I like the of like being able to see my 14-year-old self from the outside and actually figure out what was what she was presenting like to everybody else <laughs> at that time. Because I I feel like I had no idea and still don't really know. <laughs> yeah, this is one photograph of myself when I was 14. I remember seeing and being absolutely fascinated by it. And it's only now that we're talking, having this conversation that I can understand why I find it so fascinating. It's a picture that's taken. So there, there was one person who was here talking to me and another person who was taking the picture. So I'm sort of seen from the side and I had put on a bikini to try mm -hmm. it on. And I'd come out to, to, to ask, I guess, how it, if it looked okay or not. And I can remember the moment being incredibly anxious about it. Um, but the funny thing is, it's, a, it, it's not like a head-on view. It's a view that's kind of askew. And I could tell that the conversation is happening. And so it's it 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 brings that moment alive in a very strange kind of way because of the where the camera is. Um, and so you talk about like being with your 14-year-old self. I mean, if I think about that image, it's not obviously not the same as being with your 14-year-old self, but it like it makes makes that moment vivid in a mm -hmm. way that's really strange and kind of uncanny. 
What do you think about the most when you're by yourself? Uh oh. <laughs> okay, so there's two answers. The first one I'm going to do very, very quickly, and I'm not going to go into details here, but let's just say that I'm very highly sexed. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of that going on up there. <laughs> and we'll leave it at that. How do you do elaborates later, I guess? I don't know. <laughs> the other thing is, and this is what made me not just take another card and just be like, like, I think about hot boys, <laughs> like, uh, is uh, paracosms. This is a word people know. Mm. Um, this is a really useful term that I only came across in the last year or two. But it's um, basically a, a very elaborate fictional world that a lot of children who happen to be fairly imaginative and whatnot start to build for themselves when they're young but often will carry into their adulthood and many of them become fictional worlds like uh, middle earth is an example of a paracosm i see thrown out uh, or narnia or whatever else but like i've been drawing maps of places that don't exist since i was a child and they are congruent over time as I understand things like how history and politics and human interactions, um, as I have a more nuanced and developed understanding of these things, then I will edit the world to reflect these things. It's like, oh, having five countries that persist over 2,000 years is not realistic. <laughs> like, so, okay, let's, let's nuance that history. Let's have some of those break apart and like, <laughs> let's have one like uh, invade the other and, and things like that. So I have... A paracosm and I I am um, sometimes I, when I'm by myself and I'm just sort of my brain is idling I will go over some particular instance of it like let's think about the politics of that country or the characters that people it like let's think about these characters and their relationship with each other and how did they meet and like 20 years later how are things going on for them and or like let's let's think about the layout of this particular city so yeah, uh, sex and fantasy worlds. <laughs> <laughs> your 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 interior landscape is probably quite entertaining. <laughs> it's, it's it's fairly Better cartoonish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, and I've, just, I've I've often found that it's like there's this whole sort of thing of oh do I reveal that. I think about sex, you know, and then I do. And there's a value to us talking openly about these things because, yeah. you know, then you realize actually a lot of people think about sex. It's not, it's not just you. You're not weird. It's not a big deal. Like there, there is that social value. But the idea that that is somehow the thing that's going to like show me who you are, I don't, like I think that <laughs> often it's, it's, it's the weird random thing that only you think about that is the thing that shows me who you are as a person, yeah. you know? Well, and also like what is what does that mean as a person? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because as yeah. a person suggests that, that the important thing is the thing that is private, right? As you were saying, yeah. like mm -hmm. that the thing that isn't immediately apparent is what's important. Mm. But that's not always, how do I want to say this? I want to think about the difficult relationships that we have with artists who are terrible people, mm. but make compelling art. And this idea that, we have to we're now thinking more and more about what is what is the important thing there mm -hmm. like what what which which of those things represents best what are they like as a person mm -hmm. and which is the more important one and and you know i'm not i don't have an answer to that question but i think it's worth thinking about 
the public facing form of a person and the privately understood form of a person mm-hmm. as both being kind of valid, mm-hmm. both being what you are as a person, mm-hmm. how you are engaging in the world. Um, that's not meant to excuse any terribleness or anything like that. Just, just that there's a sense that even if we don't have the intimate quote unquote inner lives, hidden away lives, things that not just everybody can access about somebody that we still have a sense of them as a person. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is something that, you know, I was doing a PhD in medieval studies and, and Suzanne, you've worked on this. Like we have, we very rarely get truly any, anything that feels like that kind of intimate conversations with, with people who were alive during the middle ages. And yet we have some sense of what they are like as mm-hmm. people, at least in some sense of that. And, and, and it, that has to be, that has to be valid and meaningful. Like, mm-hmm. um, I guess you, yeah, you're right. Like, and, and, cause there are many different answers to the, like the, the, like what is as a person. And I think uh, you're sort of pointing to one, which is sort of like, what is the, and I'm sure there is a better way of putting this, but something like, what is the moral character of the person? Like, mm-hmm. is that is this a good person or a bad person? Would you trust this person? And I'm I'm sort of I've always been really intrigued by like what is what is unique and specific about this person? What what, what do they say or what do they think about that only they would would come up with? Mm-hmm. And well, that's one of the reasons why with these cards, the injunction to tell stories is I think mm-hmm. such a useful one. Like, I mean, it's it there's a value and an interest in hearing somebody sort of say something explicit about their motivation or this or that. But the stories, those do something very different, don't mm-hmm. they? Mm-hmm. Um, and they're in terms of like the individual character of them and the I don't know the, the texture of them. I don't know how to put that exactly, but they give you something very different about mm-hmm. a person. So we are on to the last tier of cards, which is the vulnerable cards. Uh, we'll start. The vulnerable. <laughs> How do you fix a broken heart? Oh. oh. <laughs> How do you talk to an angel? <laughs> Someone pull out a guitar. <laughs> oh. I don't know about that, man. You don't, I don't have know. to do that one. I also, but I also just don't think it's necessarily it's just a go in the box. Card. It's like a, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. If you tell a story about a time I your guess. heart was broken, it's How very vulnerable. I, I fix a broken heart. I mean, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, time, man. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. If I knew how, I would share. Yeah. yeah. You just wait. You and gotta you, wait and it get, out. And you get, you know, you sort of build scabs after yeah, a couple right. times. Therapy. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I don't, I don't know. I don't know that, that it was, there's a general lack of enthusiasm for that card. <laughs> how do you want to be remembered? Hmm. Oh, oh! I like this one. Okay. <laughs> I don't have a story. I just have a hot take. Well, I, I well, I guess I could tell the the story around that hot take because um, I'm sorry for jumping on this question. No, I, I, <laughs> I was at an interactive theater piece. It was about labels and so forth, and you were sort of given a bunch of post-it notes and to write labels <laughs> that people use that were positive or negative about you, and uh, and then they would give you more labels, and it was meant to make you think, I guess. Um, but there was, there was some some variation of this. Some version of this question came up about how do you want to be remembered? Oh no, that's what it is. One of the words that I put on myself uh, that people sometimes said about me was memorable. Ooh, and then we were sort of taken into this room where you could sort of take off those labels that you didn't like and and hand them over, and they would be 
they wouldn't literally be incinerated, but it was that kind of idea. You were supposed <laughs> to cleanse yourself of labels you didn't like. And I took Memorable off and handed it to the facilitator, and she freaked out. <laughs> she was like, "I why why do you why?" And I and I was like, "No, I don't." I don't, I don't mind if like people who are close to me remember me and people, and I don't mind as, as like a, an artistic creator, if people who you know enjoy the, the podcasts I make or, or like the poetry I've written or, or the music I've made or whatever, I don't mind if they sort of keep a torch alive for that. And that, that means something to them, but I don't, I don't like the idea of being remembered more broadly than that. I don't even like the idea that people talk about me when I'm not there, even if it's in positive ways. Like the fact that I enter into people's minds when I'm not physically in front of them, that I have object permanence <laughs> is kind of deeply upsetting to me. And I've gotten over it. And like, I, I, I can take a, a broader view and understand why this is can be a good thing and a loving thing and, and yada, yada, yada. But there's something fundamentally upsetting about it for me. So the idea of being memorable in, in, in that sense uh, is is just not... It's not one that I take to. Can you can you unpack the, un- un- the uncomfortableness? Uh, no, but I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> There's a line in one of the gospels that didn't quite make it. The Thomas Gospel, or is that the one with very <laughs> aphoristic? Yeah. yeah, and there's one <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, and there, this is you know early biblical writing coming out of that context, but that didn't ultimately get included in the Bible. And but if you do the, if you get the Bible Patreon, you get access. Yeah, exactly. It's absolutely a Bible <laughs> bonus bit. Um, that uh, it's very aphoristic and it's very strange and really fascinating to read. But there's one line in particular that I've always that when I read it, just like. Yes, this 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 resonates deeply with me, which is be like passersby. Ooh. This idea that live through the world and like be there, but just don't in a sense, like take only photos and leave no trace, whatever, leave only footprints, I guess. But like just just be in the world and don't don't try to make a mark. Don't, you know, just be a passerby. Hmm. Obviously, there's it's more complicated than that in many ways. And uh, especially if anybody is interested in trying to be like affect political change, yeah, affect political change, make the but the sense of the I don't know you don't you don't want to get totally like you don't want to use that philosophy as a way of not trying to affect positive political change when that can happen, but as a way of keeping you grounded and as a way of just thinking about your relationship to the world. Mm. This just just going through it. It's it's an experience. It's transitory, and these are all the good things about it, and that this is. In a way, this can also be kind of freeing, mm-hmm. like to to not have to think about your legacy, to mm-hmm. not have to worry about uh, what you're leaving behind. And obviously, that can lead to some terrible behavior, but at the same time, it can also be very positive. Um, and it also shows a kind of respect for the people and the world around you. If you if you you know don't try to leave your mark on the land, if you don't try to you know, do that strip mine or climb Everest, climb Everest or build the city on top of Everest, you know, like the, these amazing things that people have done, which are, you know, completely amazing, but are sometimes kind of terrible. Uh, I think there's a, there's a beauty and a, a, a respectfulness that comes out of trying to minimize the amount of trace that you leave. I like that. And it ties back to, it circles back to something you said earlier that I also liked, which had to do with um, the, the, the idea that it's, it's, and I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember exactly what you said, but something about the idea that it's it's fine to waste time. You know? yes. yeah, it's yeah, fine yeah. to like have time that is not productive, that where you're not like maximizing every minute. And yeah, I, I, I fully agree with that. I think that's you know there's a, there's a value to 
doing things at your own pace and not necessarily being a super productive person and yeah. <laughs> every single day. And just because I feel like our society really leans into that idea of, you know, squeeze the squeeze your value as a, I don't know, productive little member of, of uh, the capitalist <laughs> world. Yeah, and it's possible that my attraction to these ideas is entirely a response to the dominant narratives mm -hmm, of being mm -hmm. super productive yeah. and leaving your mark on the world and all this. And that where I actually feel lies somewhere in the middle or yeah. is, is a lot of different competing feelings that are working themselves mm -hmm. out. But that is a idea that I find very compelling. So you didn't actually get to answer the question yet. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's interesting. So last month I went to a workshop called uh, the, Art, the Art of the Personal Monologue, something like that. Mm -hmm. And one of the exercises we did at the end was we we wrote a short story about ourselves and I, the story that I wrote about myself was aspirational and mm. it's, it really touches on this question of how do you want to be remembered? Because I described myself as wanting to see myself kind of like mist or water droplets. Mm -hmm. So I kind of see my role in this world as an amplifier. Mm. Basically in the short story, I said, I, I want to become invisible, mm. but in the most positive way possible mm. in that I can help to amplify and that I can see myself reflected in so many others ultimately came down to not wanting to do the work alone. And, and it was really a story about building empathy, building more awareness with how we relate to one another and how we relate to the world. So I really, really resonate with what you were just saying. Yeah. I, I guess how I want to be remembered is I, you know, maybe like in a selfish way, I think of it, if I, if I were no longer here, if my friends would sometimes have a memory that reminded them of me that, that made them happy. And it's, mm -hmm. it's, you know, I think about the death of my friend and it's like, it's painful, obviously. Um, but I, I made a determined choice to think of her in ways of how she's enriched my life mm -hmm. and what is in my life now that could not have existed without her, her presence and her influence in my life. And so in that way, I think that's how I would like to be remembered. When people tell me about something that I did that influenced their life, and I'd completely forgotten about it. For example, I had a workshop and I really wanted to learn how to make pizza dough. <laughs> and, I, and I learned and then I realized it was a lot easier to do than I thought. So I invited some friends over and we made pizza. And this was maybe like two or three years ago. And you know, I was walking down the street with a friend and she said, you know, I don't buy pizza anymore. I always just make it myself. I'm like, that's cool. And she's like, it's because of your workshop. <laughs> and I'd forgotten that that was about me. And so I, I simultaneously felt, you know, recognized and, and acknowledged, but also felt invisible. And it was because mm. I had forgotten that mm. I had influenced her life in this way. And it was, it was perfect. It was a perfect mm -hmm. moment. So that's how I want to be remembered. That's great. That's yeah. Awesome. That's a good invisibility. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, I completely agree with all of that. That, that. that was very resonant. And it reminded me that when I was in grad school and, and when my thoughts were on being an academic, I was never terribly enchanted by the idea of writing the big, important volume that people wrestle with for a century and are always responding to. What I really wanted to be was somebody who was who is named in the special thanks at the beginning in a surprisingly wide variety of acknowledgements <laughs> and in a wide variety of fields and a wide variety of people. But like there was no clear unifying way and that maybe I would never have put out very much work on my own. And it would just be somebody would finally notice this in a hundred years and be like, wait, who is this person with the weird name that keeps coming up? <laughs> and there'd just be nothing that they could find about it. <laughs> Do you have a thought about how you met <laughs> Well, I'm just wondering about, like, both of you have spoken so beautifully and in ways that are quite compelling. 
Um, and I feel like it's really hard for someone like me to get over my own ego. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, surely someone else around the table has had this sort of like morbid fantasy about like, I wonder what will be my at my funeral. What will my eulogy be like? Mm, like, and it's kind of weirdly <laughs> masturbatory, right? Like, like, and and it's sort of like, oh, I really want to. Like, you want to have that positive influence on the people around you, obviously. And how much, I mean, <laughs> and it's sort of like, you're not, you're not hoping for sort of like a grand monument to be built for you. At least I'm not. <laughs> um, but I, I feel like it's really hard to sort of remove the self from the equation to the degree that seems to be the way that both of you have been oriented. Um how do you want to be remembered as a kind person? <laughs> but I do want to be remembered. <laughs> I feel like I guess the thing that I'm taking from both of you is that I'd rather if I like if I created a thing like like you know if if, if I taught someone to make pizza <laughs> and they continued, I would rather that they remembered that skill and continued to use that skill, even if they forgot that it was me who taught it to them, rather than they, that they remembered who I was and didn't really have anything a takeaway from <laughs> from that. You know, like even if like if I were to have an you know create an invention or a story or put a meme out into the world, I think if if I was alive, it would be frustrating to see a meme circulating and other people taking credit for it or whatnot. But the idea that if, if, if like I created something that was um, compelling enough for people that they kept circulating it and like years after I was gone, that would be, uh, even if they, even if, even if my name was not attached to it, it would still be me who had come up with it. So <laughs> that would be a good thing. Yeah. I want to, uh, Suzanne, it tell, you mentioned that you have kids yeah. and you're the only person here who does. And does that uh, affect how you would like to be remembered? It does. I was thinking about that a lot because I find the question really, really difficult to answer, though, um, I was very moved by the way you answered it, Melissa, um, this idea of being being visible and heard, but also kind of invisible. In other words, um, having an effect on the world, but in a self-effacing kind of way. I was really moved by that. For me, I find it very hard to think about it, except with regard to my kids, because um, I have four children. Um, one's still at home. The others are grown up and out of the house. And um, I find myself thinking about people in our family who are the ones that I get a lot of pleasure out of remembering. What is it like when we remember them together? And it's always focused on stories about things they did or the effect they had on others, the thing they like to cook, the thing they like to do in the garden or whatever. And so when I try to transpose that, um, toward my own experience, I feel like I would like to be remembered in a way that makes people feel good about themselves, like that, you know, that there was something they got or something they learned or something that was meaningful to them and helped them be the people they wanted to be. So, so it's not, it's not quite the same thing as what you're describing, but it's that same sense that the value lies not in what they remember about you, but who they are, like what mm. persists, what comes out of it. Mm -hmm. um, I was really struck by that. So do we think that was a good vulnerable question? It felt a little vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. And that was beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. I have a thought. Mm -hmm. um, it seems to me that there's a tension between the fact that if we are actually revealing our bare selves, all the ugly bits inside and whatnot, we're not necessarily always going to have a good time. Mm. And fights and arguments seem like something that could develop. So it seems interesting to me. This 
this thought is evolving from my initial impulse was why are there no sort of political or specifically philosophical mm-hmm. what is your thought about the nature of god what is your opinion about abortion mm-hmm. really hard questions mm-hmm. which could really be sticks of dynamite yeah mm-hmm. but which are really important questions that do tell you a lot about a person when yeah. they answer them mm-hmm. and it seems like this game is not interested in asking those questions mm-hmm. probably because the potential for having a really bad social experience lies therein. <laughs> but it makes me think about how, as a result, we are showing perhaps not our true selves, mm-hmm. but a positive version of ourselves that is close to our true self. Mm-hmm. Like, ugly and difficult things which might make me unpopular are going to stay in. Like, mm. That's hmm. This is, has been really great. I mean, I think we, we, we achieved what I was hoping we would achieve with the cards, which is that we, we engaged with them somewhat critically. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I think they still did their work of... If we took them seriously. Yeah, yeah. we took them seriously. Mm-hmm. We got, you know, some really interesting... We went on some interesting conversational tangents that came out of them. I, I like that. I like that the, the cards don't have the authority to tell us what to do or how to talk about them. <laughs> and I don't think that Jan intended mm-hmm. for them to do so. Yeah. So... Well, thanks so much to all of you for your curiosity, bravery, and vulnerability. (laughs) Thank you for bringing the cards over. Thank you for including me. It's great. (laughs) And thank you for listening to The Opposite of Lonely. As I mentioned earlier, this episode contains only a small sample of our whole conversation. We talked for nearly three hours without getting even a little bit bored, so I'd have to declare the cards a resounding success. If you're interested in getting hold of your own deck and trying this at home, there's a link on the episode page to Jan Keck's website, where you can also find out about his workshops and coaching services and download a cheat sheet to help make talking to people at parties less awkward. You can find these and more links from this episode of The Opposite of Lonely at megaphonic.fm unlonely, where you'll also be able to subscribe to the podcast. Once you're on the Megaphonic site, you can check out the podcasts hosted by Suzanne, Chris, and Michael, including This Is Your Mixtape, The Spouter In, Dear Reader, and The Scene of the Scene. And now, if you click on Become a Member, you can support us on Patreon. For as little as $2 a month, you'll help make this and other shows possible, get access to a members-only Slack channel, and hear all sorts of bonus bits from our podcasts. For example, we're going to make the full version of the conversation from this episode available to supporters. We covered lots of other topics, including what the idea of home means to us, life-changing travel experiences, and the moments when we felt we were transitioning into adulthood. Again, click Become a Member on the Megaphonic site, or go to patreon.com megaphonic. The next episode of The Opposite of Lonely will be out in about a month. We don't have a fixed posting schedule, but you can subscribe to be notified as soon as a new episode is posted. To get updates about what's coming up and when, you can join our Facebook group, or follow us on Twitter. Just search The Opposite of Lonely on either. If you'd like to respond to something we said on the show, or if you have any questions, or if you have an idea for an episode, get in touch on social media, or you can drop me a line at nadia at megaphonic.fm. I'm Nadia Halim. The Opposite of Lonely is a proud member of the Megaphonic Podcast Network.